Baba Kama Dav Kof Yod Bet. We last started the 10th Perek of Masechet Baba Kama. In rega- the Mishnah started in regards to someone who stole and gave it to his children. The children are exempt from paying it back. We saw Braita that said in the name of Rabbi Yoshaya that if the theft is still around, they have to give it back. Which seemed to argue on Rameh Hama who said that inheritor is like a buyer and there was a Shinui Rashut plus Yehusha, so it's totally theirs and they don't have to give back. And we saw three answers. Rameh Hama wanted to say that the Braitav Ravoshaya is talking about before Yehush. Avadabarava wanted to say that Rameh Hama was talking about repeat interest, they don't have to give that back. Rabbah explains the Braitav totally differently that the Rashut Yoresh Lav Kashut Lokeh in regards to repeat. The pasuk says that's only going on the actual thief, not going on the uh, on the, the children. And the Gemara explained what Rabbi who said that Rami Bahamas words are on the Brayta, all the more so on the Mishnah. And whoever mentions Rami Bahamas words on the Mishnah, but in regards to the Brayta, you would have to say Rami Bahamas holds like Rabbah, The whole Vechayachichaimach thing is only going on the thief. And with that, we're going to start Kofiot Bet Amud Aleph, thirteen lines in by the Tanura Banan. If someone stole something and gave it to his children to eat, they don't have to pay for it. If he placed it in front of them as an inheritance and still they didn't eat it. If they're older than Bar Mitzvah, then they have to pay it. If they're under the age of Bar Mitzvah, they don't have to pay because you can't take children to Betim. Now, if the children who are over the age of Bar Mitzvah, if they say, listen, we don't know what went on with you and, my, and our father, we don't know what's going on, maybe he paid you, maybe it never really happened, we don't know, Peturin. So now, the a question. All they have to say is, we don't know what happened with our father's finances, and that's it, Patur. Meaning... He's saying for sure. They're saying maybe, and we're gonna trust their maybe over his for sure. So Amarava, you have to explain the Brita in in the question form. If the adults say, "Hey, don't we? Don't you think we know what happened with our father and you? You don't think we know the finances?" And we know that you have nothing left with him, meaning he already took care of you. Meaning if they're saying that for sure, Peturin, at that point, they don't have to pay anything. Now, Tanya Aidach, we have a Baita that's a little bit different. Someone still gives it to his children, they don't have to pay. If he placed it in front of them as an inheritance and they ate it, Ben Gedolim, Ben Ketanim, Haivin, both adults and children have to pay. Now, Ketanim, how could you say children are Hayav? We know that you can't take them to Betin. They should be like any other child who damaged. If a child walked into someone's field and started damaging, he's patur. Okay, these children also, if they ate the inheritance, what do they know the difference? They should just be like damages and they should be exempt from paying. So, Amar of Papa, if their father left them as inheritance and they still didn't eat it, both adults and children have to give it back. But if they ate it, they don't have to give it back. So, and if a father left off to his children a borrowed cow, meaning he was supposed to borrow it for a certain amount of time, then they give it back, and he died, and the children are using it. The children have a right to use it as long as his father was supposed to use it for. 
Meta en en hayavin beonaseha. If the if the animal died, they're not hayav to pay even if there's an onus. So they have like the 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 better of both worlds. They get to use it just like their father did, like a borrower. And if anything happened to it, even an onus which their father would have been hayav for, they're totally patur. Let's say the children thought it was it belonged to their father, and they slaughtered it. They ate it. They have to pay whatever the cheap uh, meat is worth. We go find out whatever the store is selling cheap meat. That's what they have to pay. Meaning, uh, we're just gonna, they're just going to have to pay what they benefited. If a father left his children. Land the that's uh, assets with responsibility. Hayavin leshalem they have to pay. Now ika de matne laarish. Some say what Ravaz said that if you left off land they have to pay for it. That's going on the first part of the Mishnah with in regarding the cow that if the cow died you don't have to pay for it, but if he left land then you do have to pay for it. Veika de matne laasif and some say Ravaz's words with the that if there's land you have to pay. That's going on the second part where they slaughtered and ate it. They have to pay cheap um, meat, but if you left land, then you have to pay full price. So, whoever mentioned Rabbah's words on the first part where the cow died, all the more so on the second part where they slaughtered it, then yes, they would have to pay full price. And it argues on Rav Papa, who is going, we're going to see soon that he says, that the borrower's obligation to pay back is only after the onus happened. And according to Rav Papa, you would have to say that if their father left them land, they would be the children would be patur because the father died and they never accepted upon themselves the responsibility. Now, however, mentions Rava's words on the on the second part where they slaughtered and ate it. If their father left land, they have to pay for it. Aval Aresha lo, but maybe on the in the first part where the couch died on its own or there was an onus. Maybe the father's land is not leaned to pay. And that's exactly like Rav Papa. And it's the Amar of Papa. Rav Papa said, if a, if a person stole a cow, for let's say on Friday, and, and he slaughtered it on Shabbat, he has to pay times four times five. Why? Because the Isur of stealing, the prohibition of stealing, came before Shabbat. And therefore, when you slaughtered it, both of them come at the same time. So the slaughtering goes on the stealing, and uh, and you have four times four times five. Let's say he borrowed a cow. He had total permission to have it on Friday. And he slaughtered it on Shabbat. Patur. He is patur on the stealing part. Because the Isur, the prohibition of slaughtering on Shabbat and the Isur of stealing comes at the same time. And we know the rule. You go by the the worse punishment, the more strict punishment, which is slaughtering on Shabbat. He's Hayab Mitah for that. Bottom line is, you see that according to Rav Papa, the obligation to pay is only after the animal dies and not at the time of the borrowing. And that's why the Isur of stealing comes with the Isur of Shaita. And when it comes to our uh, case, where the father left off a cow, it, it goes hand in hand. These two suyot. Tan Rabbanan. The pasuk says you have to return the the theft that he th- that he stole. What are you coming to tell me that he stole? It's coming to tell me that you have to give it back the way you stole it. 
From here we said that if someone stole something and gave it to children to eat, the children are exempt from paying. They don't have to pay. If he left it them as an inheritance and they still did not eat it, whether they're young or old, they have to give it back. Now, in the name of Sumchos, they said the uh, the children that are older than Bar Mitzvah have to give it back. Younger than Bar Mitzvah, they, they're exempt. They don't have to pay it back like the original Baraita that we brought. So now, the Gemara says a story. Bar Hamua de Rebir Mia. Rebir Mia's brother-in-law, his father-in-law's son. He was the Atom. That means the father-in-law passed away. Rebir Mia claimed that he received this house as a gift from his father-in-law. Now, the child got upset. He went and he shut the door on Rebir Mia. And he didn't let the Rebir Mia walk into the house. So now Rebir Mia went to Rebir Avin and Amar and Rebir Avin told him, he, he said, Good that he locked the door on you. He's asking for what rightfully belongs to him. He's the inheritor. I'll bring you proof, I'll bring you witnesses that I that I had a stronghold over this land for three years while my father-in-law was alive and it belongs to me. So Amar there be having response to Bimia Vehim Kablin Aidim Shelob if Nebal Din. Do we accept witnesses not in front of the, the plaintiff? Meaning as long as this child is a katan. We can't bring him to court. You got to wait till after his bar mitzvah. After the party finishes, come and open a case in Betin. Now, Rabbi Yirmiya responds, Velo, really? We can't bring witnesses while he's a katan? But we have a bright outside, whether they're adults or their children, they have to give it, give it back. We don't wait till they're older. So, look, right there and there, you have Sumchos who argues right there on Hachamim. And he held that Ketanim are patur. So Amar Rabbi Meir responds, You're telling me everyone agreed like Sumchos, the minority opinion, just so they could take this house out of my hands? Now, Adehachi, in the meantime, all this is going on, Igalgel Milta, something happened, Okay, the case came in front of Rabbi Abu. Amar and Rabbi Abu responded, if a child got help from his slaves, went into his friend's field, and he said, it's mine, his slaves took over. We don't say, wait till this child becomes a gadol. Rather, we take away from him right now. And, you know, when he gets older, let him bring witnesses and we'll see who's right. So in this case also, uh, Ravir Miya has his witnesses. Give it to Ravir Miya. And when the child gets older, let him uh, fight it out. Let him bring his witnesses and fight it out in court. The Gemara says, Midame, what are you comparing cases? Over there, in the case that of Yosef Parhama brought the name of Yoshaya, the guy who brought his uh, his slaves and they took over a field, he has no hazaka from his father. There's, he had no connection to this land. He had no proof. So, okay, we throw him out. Later, bring your proof. But like the case of you, Rabbi Miyaz's case, where the child has a hazaka, his, his father lived in this land, 
then we can't just take him out. So if he took over, we're not going to just simply take him out. We have to wait till his bar mitzvah and then bring it to court. Now, by the way, there's a very interesting Talmideh, uh, Rashbah, the Rosh. They explain that if Rabbi Ramiyah in this type of case would have taken over, then he can bring his witnesses to prove that it belongs to him, even though the claimant would have been a Katan. It's only because the Katan took over that we're not going to throw him out. But if Rabbi Ramiyah was there, then he would get to bring uh, his witnesses and prove his case. And Amar Avashe, Amar Abishabtai, Mekablin Aidim Shelo Bifne Baaldin. Revashe said in the name of Rabbi Shabtai, we accept witnesses even if the claimant is not there. So Tahiba Rabbi Yohanan. Rabbi Yohanan didn't understand. How could you accept witnesses if the claimant is not there? We know that's not the halakha. So Kiblamine Rabbi Yosibar Hanina, Rabbi Yosibar Hanina, he got a Kabbalah, he has a tradition from Rabbi Yohanan. That we're talking about kegon shehaya hu hole. We're talking about a situation where the defendant is sick. Oh, aidav holim, or let's say the witnesses were sick. Or shehayu aidav mivakshim lelechem dinatayam. Or the witnesses are trying to leave the country. And they asked the defendant to come to court and he didn't come, whether he couldn't come, whatever the case is. Meaning, if there's a situation where uh, we're under duress or something might go wrong, then yes, we'll take testimony even though the defendant is not here in court. Or if we invite him and he didn't come, then we accept without him there. And Amar of Yudah Shemuel, Mikablim Aydin Shalobifne Baaldin. Rav Yudah said in the name of Shemuel that we accept witnesses and without the defendant there. And Amar Mor Okva, Lidimi Pasha Dimineh Shemuel, and I got the explanation from Shemuel. We're talking about a situation where they already opened the case, Veshalhole, and they sent him a message, come to court, explain yourself. Vilot, I didn't come. Okay, in that type of case, we can accept witnesses without him there. But if they didn't start the case yet, the defendant can say, you know what? I don't want to go to this betin. I want to go to the big betin. I want to go to Eretz Yisrael and I want to bring my witnesses and I don't want to be judged over here. The Gemara says, if, if he's going to say, I want to go to the big betin, even when they opened up the case, he could always say, you know what? I want to go to the big betin in Eretz Yisrael. So Amar Avina Ravina explains, when we said that a person cannot go to the Beit Gadol anymore, that's if the Dayanim are holding a Psaq Din, a letter from the big Beit that they can judge this person and force him to, to do whatever they say. But if they don't have that letter, then even if they started the case in court, they still could, he could still make a claim that let's go to big Beit in Israel. And the Meiri is quick to point out that usually this doesn't happen. This is not the Halakha. The only person who has the right to say I want to go to Israel is the lender. In general, you have to go to the betin that's in the area. And Amar Rav, Rav holds that you're allowed to verify a document, a loan document, even without the borrower there. Rabbi Yohanan Amar, and Rabbi Yohanan holds that you're not allowed to verify a document without the borrower there. And Amar the Rav Sheshat, Rabbi Yossi Barabu, as Be'alach Ta'amid Rabbi Yohanan, Rav Sheshat told Rabbi Yossi, let me explain to you Rabbi Yohanan's reason. It all stems from Ashur Mu'ad. The Pasuk says, Amar Kira, Vehu'ad bi'ba'alav velo yishmerenu. 
it has been warned in front of its owner and the owner didn't keep it safe, then you start it. The Torah said that the owner of the ox should stand by his ox and get the warned. So you see the claimant has to be there when they're warning him. And we learn the same halakha in regards to the borrower being there. And the halakha is that we verify a loan document even without the claimant there, even without the borrower there. And even if the borrower is screaming it's uh, forged, we still we uh, we verify that document. And if he says, give me some time, I'm going to go get witnesses and prove that this document is false, we give him the time, whatever he needs, or whatever the hachamim of that betin see fit, meaning as long as we see that uh, he's actually, there's some truth to what he's saying. So we give him his time. If he comes, great. And he came. If he doesn't come, then we wait for him Monday, Thursday, Monday. So the Rosh explains we give him 30 days and then we give him Monday, Thursday, Monday. If he doesn't come after that time, then we open up a case against him and we put him in harem for 90 days. And the Mukayosef brings the, the reef, explains the, the this is a Sarvan the Betin, and we punish him by putting him in a harem. No, he can't pray in a minyan, he can't do zimun with him. No one can do Brimila for his son, no one can bury a dead person in his family. Uh, they, they throw his children from school, they throw his, shul, his, his wife from shul until he accepts what the Betin has to say. And the Rashbah explains, we don't send him a message 90 straight days, it's once a month for three months. Now, Telatin Kamai, the first uh, first 30 days, we don't go into his bank accounts. We're figuring that he's probably going around trying to borrow money in order to pay back. The middle 30 days, again, we don't go into his bank accounts. Because we could always say that he couldn't find anyone to borrow money from and he's trying to sell. Well, he's trying to sell items that are movable, land, whatever it is. Then, the Batraed, Nami the last third days, we also don't go into his accounts. The Amar, we could always say that he sold it to someone except that the buyer is trying to find money. Now, after those 90 days, we write a seize on his assets, meaning the lender, we're giving the lender permission to go into the borrower's assets and uh, take whatever Betin says is worth the same amount as the loan. And all this is if he's saying, I'm coming. Or he's just saying, I'm coming, I'm coming, he's trying to push off Betin. But if he said right away, I'm not coming to this Betin, right away we write this, uh, this, uh, this seizure. And that's only with the loan. When it comes to the deposit that the person saying, I never got, we write the seizure right away. When we write this Psak Din, this Adrachta, that's only on land that doesn't uh, depreciate, doesn't go down in value. When it comes to movable objects, no. Why? We're worried that the lender is going to take away the item and he's going to eat it 
And that's going to finish off the actual item. And when the borrower actually comes with his witnesses and he proves that this document, this loan document is false, he can't get his item back. And if the lender has land, then we write this also on land. Because let's say he takes the, the item that he claims was his. If the borrower proves that it's false, he can always come and take land. But the Gemara pushes that right away. We don't write this adrachta, this psakim that allows the malveh to come take from the love. We don't write it on movable assets. Even when the lender has land and that could be the backup, still we don't allow the lender to go take uh, items from the borrower. Haishinan Shemit if we're worried that the lender's land might go down in price. If it goes down in price, it's not going to be worth whatever he took. He took this person's uh, gold watch, it's worth 20000 and his land is only worth 10000 and the borrower won't have anywhere to uh, collect his payment from. Now the Gemara adds another din. Vechikatvinan adrachta, and when we write this uh, this adrachta mudainan le, we let the borrower know, so this way he could make a claim if he needs to. Vehanem mile, and we only have to announce it midemikrav, where it's easy to announce. He's close. We could easily tell him. By the way, we're writing an adrachta against you. Aval mirhak if he's far, lo. Then you don't have to let him know. And even if he's far, and there's relatives to the borrower or people close to him who could let him know, or there's caravans that go back and forth to wherever the borrower is. Then we wait 12 months until the caravan can go back and forth and let him know. It's like Rabina who didn't write this adrachta for Moraha for 12 months. Moraha lent someone money, and Rabina didn't write him this adrachta that he that gave him permission to go into the borrower's land for 12 months. Until a caravan went back and forth from Behozai. Velohi and the Gemara says that's not the real case. That's not the real halacha. Hatam in the case of Mor Aha, he was a very tough person. And if this adrachta would have came to his hand to give him permission to go into other people's field, there was no way of getting it out of his hands. So that's why Rabina was patient. He waited twelve months so the borrower could bring proof that it was false. Avalhacha in a regular case where nobody's tough. We're not going to wait uh, so long. We just wait enough time where the messenger could go on Tuesday after they judge it on Monday. So he went on Tuesday. He comes on Wednesday. And that gives the person time to come back on Thursday to Betin, but not more than those uh, two, three days. If a shaliyah betin went to a person and he came back to betin and he said, the person said no, we trust the shaliyah that he actually went to the person and came back. We trust him as if he's two people, meaning he's believed 100%. And we believe the shaliyah, that's only when 
when we're doing a shamta, which is a low-level cherem, where we're just saying, okay, this person is in, in, in nidu of betin, but to open up a whole case where you're writing up a piece of paper against them, at that point, the shaliyah betin is in essence taking money away from the person he invited to betin. Because at that point, the the person who's in harem, the one who's been invited to betin, now has to actually pay for the sofer. And lo, at that point, we don't believe the shaliyah betin is two people. And when we sent someone to invite a person to betin, we could even send a woman, we could even send neighbors, meaning people who are not specifically going for the betin. They're not going there for the betin, they're just in the area. We send them and we trust that they did what they were told to do. And we only trust the woman or the neighbor who happened to be there. That's only if the person is not in the city. But if the person is in the city, no. Because we could always say that the, these, the, the, the woman or the, or the neighbor never got to him because they're always trusting that the shaliyah betin went and did it. Meaning, Betin's not trusting me. I'm just a woman. Uh, probably a shaliyah Betin went over there, so you could always say she didn't go. But if it was in a different city, then the the woman or the, the, the person happening to be there would take it a little bit more seriously. And again, we trust the woman and the, and the neighbor, the person who happened to be there. That's only if the person they're inviting to Betin doesn't pass by the Betin. But if this person passes by Betin, Allah, then we don't trust the woman or the person having to be there because because you can always say that the woman never did it because she's expecting the Betin to do it when the man passes by that betin after work. And again, and again, we're only saying that if he comes that day, but if he doesn't come on that day, then we don't rely on the the, the, on the, the woman or the, the neighbor. Because because if it's not that day, we could always say that the woman or the neighbor forgot, they didn't take a betin so seriously. Meaning, if it happened that day, that he's going to come back home and they're going to meet him that day, then we would trust her. If not, we don't trust her. And the Rishonim go as far as to say that even if he comes at night, we don't, uh, we we wouldn't trust her because she's thinking, well, he's not going to go to betin at night, he's going to go the, the next morning, so I'll tell him tomorrow, and by tomorrow you'll forget. And Amar Ava, if someone has a document written against them that he didn't show up to Betin, we don't rip up that document until he shows up to Betin. And if he has a document written against him because he didn't listen to Psaktin, meaning they already went to court and Betin was posek and he and he's still not listening. We we don't rip up that document until he actually listens to Betin. Velahi and the because The rule is once he says I'm going to do what Betin says, or once he says I'm showing up, we rip it up. And the Rashba explains it could be the person just didn't have money. It could be said, look, I'm going to actually pay it when I have the money. I don't have the money right now, so we can't uh, we can't twist his arm and uh, chain it at the same time. We we can't put him in harem and not let him work to uh, to pay back whatever he whatever he says he owes. 
And the shita mekubetzet brings down that if someone said, I'm going to pay it, and they ripped it up, and he still never paid it, then they write up another one, and they don't rip it until he actually pays. And we'll stop right here. Baruch Hashem le'olam. Amen ve'amen.